This is the St. Louis Podcast Network. Welcome to episode two of the Last Man Up podcast here in gorgeous Glen Carbon, Illinois. I learned from my mistakes. You did, rightfully so. We're, you know what? I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, our guru here, Andy Hanselman, did not cancel us after my faux pas of calling this Wood River. Instead of Glenn Carbon last time, I'm, I I'm thought glad. about it. <laughs> now you guys are done. Of, of your mercy, we are unworthy, sir. Yeah, Joey Hams is still on the network, so you guys, you guys can still be on the network as well. Okay, good. You have the, the old Hamilton Sportacopia. I mean, you called it Wood River. And I, just, I know, I, not an insult. So, to I mean, that's like Sin, I understand. That's like calling Ledoux Blackjack. Oh, wow! Come on, that's. I don't know about that comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's pretty drastic. I mean, not that far. I mean, Wood River is not that far. In your no. defense, Wood River is not that far, but it's just a different. It's a different thing. It's a it's, it's a blue collar community. It is. Wood River is or Glen Carbon is. Wood River is a blue collar community. Okay, and Glen Carbon is a little more uppity. Glen Carbon is gotcha. a little more fancy. Basically, gotcha. I mean, Glen Carbon is Edwardsville. I mean, if you tell where some, well, yeah, because they're right next to each other to, to an extent. Yeah, if you don't know. If you're not from here, if you're not a 40-year veteran like I am, then yeah, then it's all one thing. I got but you. But it's they're actually they're very very different things. Okay. No, I no, I get it. I'm just not that familiar with, you know, the no, Metro that's East. Okay. Yeah. We'll get you there. I'll train you. <laughs> I'll train you on it. Uh Matt Berger, uh you can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Berger and Clay Byersdorfer. You can follow him on Twitter at ton of Clayton. You can follow the podcast at Last Man Up Pod. We are part of the, the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. Uh, we're going to be joined on the phone a little bit later by Anna Maria Tarullo. 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 Uh, looking very, looking, uh, very forward very much forward to talking to her boy she's neat she is i, uh, uh, I creeped on her instagram and her uh, twitter today she's oh, pretty neat uh, yeah she, i already follow her on instagram and twitter she is a phenomenal individual uh um, oh i'm sure so, she's how, do, so, how do you how do you she's know so sweet she's how, so nice how do you know her so a quick story uh before we bring our guest on is anna and i met at a party in college okay uh, probably my sophomore or junior year and we're both obviously, you know, big Kentucky basketball fans. We're sure. Kentucky and you went firing, well, okay. in, gun, you went firing in guns blazing, and she was like, <laughs> I have a boyfriend. Yeah, no. No. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Our, well, slow, down, slow down. What college did you go to? Went to the University of Missouri, and I can confidently say that, yes, I'm a Mizzou grad, but okay. I happen to be a University of Kentucky basketball how, how does that? How does that happen? You're from Illinois. You went to Mizzou, and you're a... Uh, well, a big Blue Nation fan. Listen, there's, look, a, there's a big UK contingency there, in there, O'Fallon. There is a, well, not only O'Fallon, but the Metro East as a whole. I mean, Illinois is not that far from Kentucky. My whole family is from Kentucky. I am a Kentucky kid at heart. Sure, I mean, I could have gone to school anywhere it's and not still like, been it's a not Wildcat like, fan. It's not like Illinois basketball is, you know... Uh, Terrible. I mean, they were relevant. You're, not, you're from, not Kentucky, but I mean, it's not like they're a bunch of schmucks. In my near 30 years on this planet... Illinois basketball has been relevant for like two, and those were the D Brown, Luther Head, okay. like you know sure. okay, those, those years. So, anyways, let's, let's, so let's go back to you're at this party. I'm at this party, and then, uh, you you, uh, you gaze upon the very lovely Anna Maria. I I do, and uh, you know, two Kentucky kids at heart. What's the first thing we talk about is Kentucky basketball, and our okay. and our favorite player just happens to be uh, the esteemed Chuck Hayes. 
Chuck Hayes is Chuck, who you bo- uh, who you bonded over. We bonded over Chuck Hayes. It's our favorite uh, Kentucky basketball player and our uh, one of our favorite people. Um, I've had the pleasure to ch- talk with uh, Chuck personally and just a great man, great advocate for the game, and um, obviously just a huge bonding point with our, our guest, Anna Maria Tarullo, that we will have on here shortly. Okay, so you talked to her about Chuck Hayes. And then that's as far as the conversation goes. Yeah, and we quickly, you know, became friends. We bonded over that. We've stayed in touch over, the, you know, the last couple of years. I've been really fortunate to see her kind of rise through the sports journalism, you know, industry. She's she's had a lot of success. She's covered a lot of different sports, including Georgetown basketball and football, uh, arena football. They have they have football in Georgetown. They they do. They're not a like perennial contender i think i didn't they, even know that i, I think, thought it was the basketball school only. I, I think they contend at like a lower a lower level i want to say it must or, be the lowest level ever i, I it's <laughs> division one or however that works out now um but she's a really great person she's got a lot of great insight you know living in louisville now uh seeing how everything that's gone on with the university this oh, year well, yeah seeing the patino fallout um and the effect that's had you know not only on the community um but on the game itself so really looking forward to having her on uh, and she, like you said, she is in Louisville now, correct? She is a Louisville Louisville native, I guess you could say. Okay. Yeah. And she ended up going to Mizzou. Well, she was, at, she was at Mizzou, and then she actually transferred to the University of Georgia, I believe, and that's where uh, she got kind of her uh, fine-tuning as a okay. journalist. Um, but like her and I both, we went to different schools, but still, uh, still remain Big Blue Nation at heart. Well, very... Uh Looking forward to having her on. Very much so. Very much so, yeah. yeah. She's going to be a great guest. So the the big news of the week was Paul DeYoung signing a six-year contract extension, even though he's got, what was it, two years of eligibility left, uh, arbitration years. Until he was eligible for arbitration, he had two more years. So he was pretty cheap. And Paul DeYoung had a good, you know, what, second half of the season last year. He well, looked really good. He, he was good for the time that he was here. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the Cardinals, they love to do this, and it very rarely works out for them. And I don't understand why they rush to do this again. You know, especially... This this is nothing against Paul DeYoung. No. I think Paul DeYoung, I mean, I I think he's going to be a good player. Do I know for sure he's going to be? No, I don't. And the contract isn't that big of a backbreaker. Not at all. But still, this is what you're concentrating on, is getting someone like Paul DeYoung as opposed to maybe getting somebody else for the rotation because right now the rotation is looking a little shaky. So why wouldn't you go after somebody else for the rotation? And you've been burned by this so many times. Jaime Garcia, six years, 51 million. Where, where's Jaime Garcia right now? I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. Alan Craig, five years, 31 million. Where's Alan Craig now? Is he even in baseball? I think he's a, a very, he might be a minor he's league in, affiliate. No, he's in San Diego. Is he in right. San Diego? That's right. Yeah, which is because, German for Wales yeah, vagina. Yeah, founded, ver- founded by the Germans. Founded by the Germans, of course. <laughs> Colton Wong, five years, uh, 51 million with the two with a 2021 team option for 12.5 million. Which I, I think the jury is still out on jury Colton Jury is Wong. 100% still out. I think this is going to be Colton Wong's breakout year, but I've been saying that for the past two years, and one of these days is going to prove me right. I think this is the year, honestly, that it, it has to make or break for Colton Wong, whether it's for you know him himself or you know honestly the team. It's really the, the direction that they want to go in is really dependent on the year that he has. 
Matt Carpenter, six years for $52 million through 2019. Carlos Martinez, five years for $51 million with team options of $17 million in 2022 and $18 million for 2023. Lance Lynn, when we had him, three years, $23.5 million. And Stephen Biscotti, six years, $33.5 million. Stephen Biscotti now in Oakland. So out of all those times that they've done that, Colton Wong, jury still out. And I would say the time has worked out. Matt Carpenter, Carlos Martinez, jury still out, in my opinion, on that one, too, even though I love Seamark. I think they're both really, really good players, but there's a discussion between whether, I mean, for the, the dollar amount that we're getting for, for their play is 100% justified. What we're paying them and the, and the output that we're getting from them, I think, is completely justified. Where the discussion, I think, really has had is, why not sign someone that is a little bit more proven of all-star caliber or superstar status? That that then that's my point. Yep. And I've said this now for the past couple of years. The Cardinals have become very good at hope trafficking. Mm. They do that better probably than any other franchise I can think of. They hope traffic tremendously. I love that you use the phrase hope traffic. Hope trafficking. Because this is what this Paul DeYoung contract is. It's hope trafficking. It no one no one hates Paul DeYoung. Not at all. Not one person hates him. Not at all. But I mean, and everybody's like, you know what? Good for Paul DeYoung, you know, and, and it is. It's good for him. Every it's a feel-good story. But I mean, is this feel good? Why are we having this feel-good story? I should think we it, should we be feeling good about this team? Well, in in one hand, you from a front office standpoint, in one hand, yes, you lock up a young player who definitely ha- has shown flashes of potential. In the other hand, you wonder, okay, what is Paul DeYoung's you know, ceiling? Is he a guy that's really going to put us over the hump in terms of the shortstop position? And we all thought about that about uh, Lindemus Diaz. We, we've thought that about a few guys yes. in, in Cardinal history. Um, but from a front office standpoint, Mo John Mozeliak has taken you know the initiative to lock young players up in hopes that they become superstars. You've kind of alluded to it already. More times than not, that hasn't really worked out. Stephen Piscotti, you mentioned his name. I think the jury is 100% still out on him. Last year, I can't imagine going through the circumstances that Stephen Piscotti went through and try to play oh, you know, yeah. to, to a, a high level. Um, so our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family and, and what he's dealing with for sure. I'm very happy that he's in an organization that he can be closer to his family in this time of need. Um, but more times than not, going back to your point, it has not worked out, like you said. So why do it? Why why do it? It, it It's really hope trafficking, like you said. It's- why not? Because, I mean, I have no idea how serious the talks got. But during you know the offseason, and we are still kind of in the offseason because it's only spring training, but there were plenty of rumors about how the Cardinals were linked to people like Manny Machado and Josh Donaldson, and they didn't pull the trigger. It's just and, not- and the thing is, is that the Cardinals, they're, they're too scared to give up prospects. So here's my other question to you, Clay Byersdorfer. Follow mm-hmm. him on Twitter at Tony Clayton. <laughs> Thanks for the name drop. Name me the last Cardinal prospect that they traded away that when you see him play, you're like, son of a bitch, I wish we still had him. You know, top of mind, none of them really come to mind. Not I know, a one. I, I, a guy that they really, really liked, and I thought that was going to be a really solid um, guy for the Cardinals in terms of future was Rob Kaminsky, who's now in Cleveland, okay. I think. And we got him in the Brandon Moss deal, I believe. Um, so that was like one of the few times, and he was a very highly regarded prospect within uh, the St. Louis Cardinals system. He was a left-handed guy, um, showed a lot of promise. Um, he was one of the first guys, you know, over the last probably decade that you were like, wow, you know, maybe the Cardinals are are starting to really think about dealing top 
top leader or uh, top tier prospects. Who did the Cardinals trade to Cleveland for Mark DeRosa, the pitcher? Oh, it was uh, the guy who looked like Kenny Powers. Yep. His last name was Perez, I think. I can't it remember. Was it Rob, no. Robert? Nope. Rob Perez? Nope. That's not who I'm Chris. Talking about. It was Chris Perez. Chris Perez. Chris Perez. It was it was it was him. He was a relief pitcher. Yep. And then there was another guy too that that, that the Cardinals kept and, and, and may have been Rosie. No, it wasn't. No, it would have been Rosie. But I mean, like the point I'm trying to make. Anyway, is the, the, the it was that guy. He had a he had a fantastic se- a couple of seasons in Cleveland. Yeah, he after was, they traded him, he, he was pretty good. Chris Perez was good for the Indians for and a little while. And yeah. I, I like I remember when the car. I forgot who they traded Brett Wallace for, but everybody was up in Brett, arms. Yep. About how they traded Brett Wallace, who was supposed to be their best hitting prospect, and he's another person that I have no idea if he's even in baseball. It it goes back to how, and it really shows how hard it is to evaluate minor league talent and really project how good they're going to be. I mean, it's almost kind of like shooting fish in the barrel sometimes. Sometimes guys will have really bad years. Sometimes guys will show a lot of promise. Point in case, Aledmias Diaz, who, you know, we thought, hey, this is the guy. We drafted him really high. He rose through the minors, you know, at, at a very rapid pace almost and, you know, showed offensive promise, you know, showed some defensive tools. Um, but then it just didn't pan out. Who knows what he's going to do in Toronto? We may be back here in a year thinking, wow, we really shouldn't have got rid of that guy. Brett Wallace uh, last played in baseball uh, in 2016 for the also San Diego Padres. Oh, there we go. There, <laughs> San Diego seems San, to be the land San of misfit toys. It is the dumpster fire. Well, Toronto is uh, starting to become, I think, You're right uh, the about land that of the too. dumpster fire for uh, with the his, uh, organization. With his 40 career home runs over six seasons. Yeah. 494 games played. So remember when everybody was... 1,500, 1500 played appearances in six years. Everybody was pooping in their pants that they traded Brett Wallace and... Look, look what happened. So what the point I'm trying to make is that everybody was so scared to pull the trigger on Manny Machado. And I understand that Manny Machado was not perfect because he had one year. And then after that, he's a free agent and you have no idea where he's going to be going after that. And you could have lost all those prospects for nothing, but get him here. You have the whole year to work on him. You have the whole year to sell him on the organization and on the city. You got that entire uh, what? How many? How long is is the baseball season? Eight months. You've got Pretty that. Much. You've got that entire time to do that. And then, because I'm not, com- I don't know about you, I am not comfortable with the Cardinals trying to win a bidding war next year when he's a free agent. Well, who who are the Cardinals? The Cardinals don't outbid anybody. They don't outbid, and I think that's kind of the the mantra, kind of the strategy that John Mozeliak employs is he would rather take a chance and try and grow the next Manny Machado or you know Machado and- over. You know, over I won't say overpaying, but paying a hefty price for someone who's already proven. Now, I will say in a ten year span, yes, they made it to what, three, four World Series? Sure. And they did it with what? Homegrown players. Okay. Not saying they had any like, wow, all star caliber guys. But, I mean guys went to all star games. Okay, but, but but when was that last World Series? 2011? No, 2013. No, 2013. What am I so, saying? Okay, so five years ago. Yeah. In sports, that's a lifetime. It is a lifetime. That is it's a, a lifetime. lifetime. Five years ago now. So it's gotten to the point or now five seasons ago. where I understand what the Cardinals are trying to do. They're trying mm. to do the Cubs... Houston Astros formula where we're going to, you know, we're going to have all these prospects. We're going to go through analytics, and this is the way we're going to build our team. It kind of reminds me, you ever seen the movie A Fish Called Wanda? 
I have. Okay. And that great line in A Fish Called Wanda about how apes read philosophy. Yes, they read philosophy, but they don't understand it. <laughs> so I'm starting to think that maybe that's kind of like the case here with the Cardinals. They, 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 they can read analytics. I'm not sure how much they understand it because this team, they want to do the homegrown thing, and the homegrown prospects really haven't panned out. Well, it's not that they were not able to read analytics. They had a guy who was basically stealing data for, what, how many what? years? Yeah. Allegedly. Now the guy's no, he was the convicted of it. Right. So maybe that's, you know, maybe that was their down. They just need a new guy to steal analytics. Price is right style without going over Brett Wallace's career war. Less, two, less than one. I'm going to go 2.5. He's the winner. My, minus 0. 0.6 is his career <laughs> war. So that didn't pan out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's no. a good way to put it. It did not pan out. It did not pan out. So you're going to hold on to these prospects that may not pan out. And while you're waiting forever and ever and ever and ever for these people to, to pan out, the fans are growing more impatient and all the other teams are getting better. It's really in, and I had this chat, I had this discussion in, in my group chat of friends uh, that we debate, you know, sports on a, t- a daily basis. Um, and it made me really think about kind of the, how the business model of baseball has almost, you know, evolved and, and really changed over the last 10 years. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you might, you know, be able to get away with that kind of thing. Whereas now there are so many superstars in baseball that it's like, man, if you don't have one one or two of those kind of guys on your team, you might as well not even try and contend. Now you look at what the Astros did, you look at what the Cubs did, is they almost border I mean, you can use the word tank, but they went to the bottom of the barrel before they climbed all the way back out of the top. What the Cardinals are struggling to do or, or wrestling with right now is they have the expectation of the fan base that yes, they should be perennial contenders every year, but at the same time, you know, they don't have the assets to really to, to really do so. Well, I think here's another error that the Cardinals have made too. Let's say the prospects that they have that they covet, they don't pan out. And they're like, okay, you know what? Maybe we need to get up higher. Maybe we need to be drafting higher up on the board. So we're going to go into full-blown tank mode and we're going to lose a ton of games. But hey, you know what? Everybody, this is what the plan is. You think you think they've earned the trust of Cardinal Nation to where the Cardinal Nation is going to be like, okay, yeah, you know what? We trust you guys to do that. Not anymore. Well, here's something for you to look up: is when is the last Cardinals actually like losing losing season? Like, I'm not talking right about 500. I'm talking if, like tank mode. Oh, tank, tank mode not, had not like had it been in the 90s. Trying, I'm going to go over under on 1990. Nine? Those Cardinals teams towards the end of the nineties were terrible. Oh, they were terrible at the beginning terrible. of the nineties too. So it's been yeah. it's been twenty years, really, since the the St. Louis fan base. I mean, you you see generations come and go with Cardinals fan bases that we've have a generation, including my generation, that all we've been accustomed to with the St. Louis Cardinals organization is winning. So it's really hard to digest and swallow when that doesn't happen and they're not making the appropriate moves when everyone else in baseball at this current day and age is doing so or trying to position the themselves to win unless you're the Padres or you know the Marlins right now who just clearly don't want to win if the Cardinals have a bad year and by bad year I mean like bad by their standards I'm not talking about like oh like if if this year if this season looks like the past two seasons there's going to be a whole bunch of house cleaning I think well in 2000 in 2007 they were 78 and 84 they were bad well, I think that team had but a lot of injuries that, too. That was a, that, but that's right around that like 500 mark. Like you even said, and they like won the injured. world. And they won the World Series the year before. Right. So there's yeah, a, with a right. team that really shouldn't have. There's, oh, that's you no. Know that was that was the year of Kip Wells. Yes, love the Kip Wells. <laughs> uh, going Kip back, Wells going back to 99, 75 and 86. 
So uh, even 97, then? 7389, 95. Oh boy. I was 62 yeah, those teams in the 90s were really bad. 94. 53 and 61. So that's that was a strike shortened year. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, and that's awesome when AB was looking to sell the franchise too, yep. and they, they were tired of pumping money. Uh, in 86, they were a 500 team. I mean, you have to go back to oh, the 70s. The 70s were bad. I wasn't even a thought in the 70s. I mean, I was born in 77. It's not like I cut myself shaving too, on, the way, on, on the way. <laughs> it's not like I cut myself shaving on the way to Bush Stadium. But I mean, like just hearing people talk about it. You can tell by looking at the banners, too, when the mm-hmm. Cardinals were good. In the 40s, all kinds of banners. In the 50s, none. Mm-hmm. In the 60s, all kinds of banners. In the 70s, none. In the 80s, all kinds of banners. In the 90s, none other than 96. So maybe it's just now that we're hitting this, you know, kind of gap where the Cardinals aren't very good and we're primed, you know, in the next couple of years to start making big moves I, and, I thought that and was going to ha- on top. I honestly thought that was going to happen after they lost pools. You, you and I I'm both. like, this, this, this is where the Cardinals are going to be bad for like maybe five or six years. You and I both. So maybe this is just the Albert Pujols hangover. So in, 70, well in 73 and 74, Four, they were eighty-one and eighty-one, and eighty-six and seventy-five, and they were, both times they were just they were, they were they were just a game and a half out of first place. Okay, out of making the playoffs. The I, I wonder how I wonder how many games the seasons were back then too. I don't think one hundred sixty-two. Were they one hundred sixty-two back then? Uh-huh, in seventy-three, seventy-four, they went okay. to the uh, the last I season. That, I thought that one sixty-two game uh, schedule was a was a recently new phenomenon. It is uh, nineteen sixty-two. That's not pretty new. Not pretty new, but yeah. I don't know <laughs> what your definition like, of new is, yeah, but ni- that's 19, not new. 1962 was, you know, well before the, the moon landing. 1950, uh, so, uh, so these play 154 games up until 1961 or so. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break, and then joining us on the phone will be Anna Maria Tarullo. She'll be talking to us about college basketball and the reaction in Louisville to Rick Patino being fired and the NCAA taking away the 2013 uh, national national championship from the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, Anna Maria Tarula will be up with us next here on the Last Man Up Pod. You can follow us on Twitter there at Last Man Up Pod. And we are part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, St. Louis STLPodcast.com. You're listening to the Last Man Up podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. Matt Berger and Clay Byersdorfer. Joining us right now on the phone is Anna Maria Tarullo. You can hear her on ESPN 680 in Louisville. You can follow her on Twitter at Tarullo Tweets. Anna Maria, how are you? Hey guys, I'm doing great. I'm happy that it's championship week. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. We're, we're, we're playing uh, what Clay said is your favorite song, My Old Kentucky Home. Oh yeah, it's me and Clay. It's both of our favorite songs. Yes, it, it pumps us up. It just warms my heart. <laughs> when An- when Hanselman told me that he was going to play My Old Kentucky Home today, I, I thought about texting you and letting you know, but I was like, it, we'll just leave that little surprise in there. Now, now Cl- Just hit her with the emotion. <laughs> now Clay is from... Illinois. Are you from Kentucky? Yeah. Am I from Kentucky? Yeah, I'm from Louisville, but you know, I bleed bloom. I've bled blue my whole life and I'm in Kentucky right now. They haven't ran you out of town yet being a, a Wildcat fan in a uh, Cardinal country? No, it's pretty much half and half in Louisville, actually. I'd say there's probably even more Kentucky fans in Louisville 
the mobile fans. But it's interesting since I've moved back home from D.C. It's like reliving this rivalry again. I forgot how much I hated Louisville. And you got to deal with their pesky fans all the time. What has been the, the city's reaction with the whole Rick Patino scandal and, and his firing and the whole fallout from the NCAA investigation and now the 2013 title vacated? What, what's been the, 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 the morale in the city there? Is everybody kind of like, yeah, we kind of expected this when you hire somebody like Patino? Or are they outraged? Well, or? Not necessarily. I think what's been interesting in a town like Louisville, it's a big sports town. There's a big sports audience. A lot of people are interested but it's all college. You know, they don't have any pro sports teams here. So people are like completely immersed in it. And it just blows my mind. I mean, subjectively, I want to say it's uneducated opinion, but just like almost ignorance, people being upset, people still saying that it was unfair that George and Patino were fired, which blows my mind. Because if you look at it from a third party perspective, you know, they were they were negligible. Like, they were not running a clean program. There was failure to maintain a program. For Jurich's case, it was failure to maintain several programs and run them cleanly. You know, you had the Louisville football cheating scandal, so many things. Multiple scandals under basketball. I just don't understand. I think the part that has been most confusing for me is that people continue to say that it's unfair that Patino was let go. It's like, how many chances did you want to give this guy? He's proven you wrong again and again. But you know what, I think the overall feeling, I think even Kentucky fans, they aren't enjoying this as much as it would seem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's sorrow for the players because to see a program go down, if A, it makes the rivalry less fun when you don't have somebody like Pacino who's the coach of the other squad, and B, I think David Padgett is a pretty likable guy. So, you know, I think Kentucky fans are almost compassionate, at least from what I've seen. It isn't, you know, as hateful as you would expect. Do you think it's because they know that they have John Calipari as their head coach? He doesn't exactly have a great track record, and one day they may be, yeah. may be in the same situation? I don't think necessarily it's that. I mean, we saw the stuff come out with Kevin Knox and Bam Adebayo, that there, there could be connections with agents. I think it's not that they're, you know, biting their tongue because they think they might be next. I think there is a little bit of joy and the fact that ever since Calipari has been at Kentucky, all you hear from Louisville fans is, oh, you know, better put the banners up with Velcro because you're just going to have to bring them back down. You know, they'll get their wins vacated off this. And Patino is the one that happened to him. So I think it's just more like if you enjoy and you follow the sport so much, it's just kind of sad to see that happen. And you feel bad for the players, honestly. They're kids. Uh, Anna, you kind of already talked about it. Uh, but being, you know, a Louisville native, a Louisville girl, um, and, and living in this city and being a, you know, a huge Kentucky basketball fan. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the rivalry between uh, Kentucky and Louisville for folks who may not really understand it, especially with Patino not really being at the helm of the program this year and uh, just kind of the impact that's had on, on the local community. Yeah, what's so funny is I did some D.C. radio for 106.7 The Fan at CBS Radio um, last Saturday. And uh, they were talking to me about the same thing. They were like, as a Kentucky fan, like, which teams do you hate? Which Blue Bloods? And I had to explain to them my hierarchy of hate. So, you know, as a Kentucky fan winning his program, you got to hate a lot of people. Like, Louisville, absolutely, they're first. And I think they're first because it's, there's bitterness. You know, if you're rubbing shoulders with these people every day, these Louisville people, it, you know, they could talk to you. I remember in high school, I dated a Louisville fan, and it was always just like, oh, if they won, it was disgusting to me i hated having to hear about it and uh and then of course next in the hierarchy of hate is duke and north carolina then maybe kansas a little lower because they're close to us and wins but 
I mean, with Louisville, I think mainly we like to call them little brother, and that's what they are. So for years, it pissed me off. Like, if Louisville was having, like, an up year, like the year that they did win the championship that doesn't count anymore, they liked to act like they were on par with Kentucky's tradition and Kentucky's, you know, dominance from the time the program started, really. And they just don't compare. So mine was always like, it wouldn't bother me as much when they won. It would bother me that they would think that they were even near on the same level as Kentucky. But it's changed so much with Patino not at the helm. A, because their program hasn't been as dominant. You've watched them struggle. And it's hard to root for a team like that to lose when they've had so many struggles. And you feel like for the kids. And David Padgett is so likable. But also, since Patino was at Kentucky first, won a championship there, and then turns around and goes to Louisville. That added so much heat to the rivalry. I don't think it'll – those were the glory years of the rivalry. It will never be that good. It wasn't even beating Louisville that was so enjoyable and Cal being, what, 8-1, and 9-1 and one against him. It was that we were beating Patino because he just couldn't handle it. And he, he said he regrets leaving Kentucky, and it was annoying that he got that tattoo after his 2013 – Championship the infamous, anymore, the infamous like shoulder tattoo. Championship, he never got it. Yeah. <laughs> Anna Maria Tarullo joining us on the phone right now. You can follow her on Twitter at Tarullo Tweets. However, Andy Hanselman, do not follow her in real life. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, I know you're, you're thinking, safe. I know you're thinking about it. Uh, Anna Maria, obviously, you're a, a very big uh, college basketball fan. What is your reaction to all of these scandals going on that aren't involving Louisville with, with involving the FBI and pay-to-play and, and what's going on with Sean Miller and, and the $100,000 alleged payment to DeAndre Ayton for the University of Arizona Wildcats? When, when you see something like this as a college basketball fan, does it break your heart or do you kind of wave your hand and be like, look, everybody, everybody knows this and now it's just kind of like made public? Right. It doesn't break my heart at all. I mean, it's, the name of the game i love and adore college basketball um but this has been going on forever i mean forever if you want to win and you want to be successful that is what you have to do if you're not cheating you're not winning so i know it's been a big discussion at the sec tournament and i know jay billis was talking about it today you know should mark fox at georgia lose his job or not and it's like mark fox is an excellent coach he's an incredible man of great character He's a fantastic basketball mind, but he probably, you know, he's not winning because he can't get recruits. He's probably not cheating. So those are the guys that aren't. Those are the guys that are running clean programs. So I think it's just as a governing body, the NCAA, you can't completely fault them. I mean, people are still being sketchy, and that's how it's been forever. This isn't a recent thing. It's not anything that has to do with one and dones or necessarily specific to the shoe companies. I mean, this has been going on for decades, and it's part of it. If everyone's paying people, then what really is the advantage? If every, you know what I mean? If everyone is, it's not just like one program is. So I thought that was interesting, um, you know, just seeing, you know, Markel Fultz, I think it came out that he got some money to go to Washington, and it all kind of makes a little bit more sense when you look at it that way. But I don't think it's changing the landscape too much. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here, and it's just a wild, wild west, especially in Arizona. My God, Sean Miller. Then you had, was it who, Trier, who was had a PED use? It's like, oh, my gosh, this year is just nuts. It's extremely unstable in terms of who is even a dominant team. So it'll be interesting, especially to look back and see how this 
will be a catalyst for how things and recruiting and sanctions are handled in the future. It's a definite, definite pivotal um, year in co- college basketball with everything that's going on. I'm kind of switching gears since we are a St. Louis-based podcast and we like to talk about St. Louis sports uh, in general. The SEC basketball tournament is in town. Um, everyone is buzzing around here, very, very excited. Um, Mizzou has joined the SEC within the last couple of years. Um, so this is kind of, uh, you know, St. Louis and the Midwest really kind of first foray into this kind of territory. What can St. Louis people really expect when an SEC tournament, you know, kind of comes to town? Well, I think it's fantastic because I know Mizzou for, you know, what they've been in the SEC since 2012. They were getting the SEC football coming through there, but I feel like they're seeing a whole new level. SEC basketball is just different. It's, you're, we're lucky that it's, you know, a more dominant year. There's better teams. There's Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, an exciting player like Michael Porter Jr. The fact that he's going to be playing, how huge is that? To be playing when it is in St. Louis. And I wish that it was a better, more, uh, you know, um, congruous UK team that will be playing there to really give fans a taste. But, you know, blue travel, it's more exciting for St. Louis to really experience Kentucky basketball fans traveling like that. Um, it does feel strange to me, though, honestly, because you think SEC tournament and you think Nashville and you think Atlanta. It feels kind of like when the Big Ten tournament was like in Washington, D.C. last year. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think it's great, and I think it's exciting, and I think Mizzou is a good addition, and I'm excited to see Michael Porter Jr., honestly. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really great tournament, and you kind of hit it on it already, and I wanted to ask about that. There has been some gripe from SEC country about the SEC tournament being in St. Louis. Do you feel like this is a little too far west for the SEC or no? No, I love St. Louis. You know, it's not – it is a Midwestern city. It's not your typical – you know, SEC location, but why not have it there? It's a great sports town. Uh, I've been to two Final Fours, one or two Final Fours in St. Louis. Fantastic place to have it. Uh, the best Final Fours I ever went to were St. Louis, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, and New Orleans because they're those compact cities, you know, rather than places like Dallas or, you know, then where everything is spread out. I think it's a fabulous location, and you have people there who cares about sports who will come to the game and it's in driving distance from a majority of the school. So I think it's fantastic. Now, let me ask you this. And as, as a, uh, as a Southern bell, and we can kind of hear a little bit of the accent. You said you're from Kentucky. Is St. Louis a <laughs> Southern city or is it a Yankee city? Cause I've heard people from the South say that they consider St. Louis to be a Yankee city. Oh, you St. Louis be a Yankee city. Yeah. No, heck no people. That's the thing. If you're thinking just people in the North forget or people in the South forget that it's not just the North and South, like, it's Midwest. Like, I wouldn't call it Yankee. Yankees like New York, New Jersey, East Coast, Boston. I don't get Southern vibes from it at all. I don't even really get Southern vibes from Louisville. But that's funny that you thought you noticed a twang when I was speaking because everyone here thinks I'm from, like, Massachusetts or something. I don't it's really? It's all, all. That, it's all that time on the but, East Coast. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think yeah. what it was when we first when we first got you on the phone, we were bringing you on. I I could tell there was a little bit of a southern twang. She's a Kentucky girl. I told you. It doesn't take like you're from right. the south and you have that southern twang. I've noticed that when you go back south, it doesn't take long for you to pick it back up. No, again. I, every time I go back, I mean, I, it picks right back up. Like yeah. I never lost it. A, a buddy of mine lives in New York, but he's from Springfield, and when he goes back to Springfield, it sounds like he's in he's been in Alabama for his entire life. 
It's funny. He, he picks it right. He picks it right back up again. Yeah. And then, then okay. And you know this, uh, Anna, because you're, you're from the South and you go to places on the East Coast like D.C. and they think that anybody who's got like a little bit of a twang, we're all from Mississippi. Because when I visit for my, oh, yeah. when I visit my friend in, in, uh, in New York, he's like, "So where are you from, Alabama?" And I'm like, "No, I'm from St. Louis." <laughs> I'm like Alabama, what are you talking God, about? I know. That's just so funny. Yeah, because when I lived in New York, people would always like just be like, "You're a Southern Belle." I'm like, "Oh my God, not even close." And then I come down here, they're like, "There's no way you're from here." I'm like, oh, "I'm from here. My parents are from here. Don't let my dark hair fool you. I am from here." <laughs> Goodness. Uh, so you know, as we're getting close to a March Madness and tournament time. Now, I want you to take off your, your Big Blue Nation glasses and tell me who do you think is going to be in the Final Four and who's going to win it. Oh, jeez. Well, who is going to win the lottery? That is so anybody's game. <laughs> I promise you. Uh, Tony Bennett is a magician. I love him. I love his defense. He runs a disciplined team. Their fundamentals are outstanding, always. Um, you know, people want to hit on him for a slower offense. I find nothing wrong with it. They're patient. They're not making frivolous mistakes because they get set in their half-court set. Um, I think they're great. Villanova, you know, they're good. I'm happy that Xavier won the Big East this year. It was nice to see that little, you know, mix-up and who won that since the merge of that, uh, of the Big East. Um, I don't know if I'm on the Villanova train. No. I was strong on the Izzo train, as always. But, you know, then they blew it because now it's Beeline's tourney, the Big Ten tourney. Um, I like Xavier. Kansas is always. They've got a lot of talent there. Uh, you know what? I just honestly, this is a tough. I've never been so just indecisive on who I even trust. It's, it's wide open. It's very wide open. Game. What about SEC? Do you? Do you really see, um, and once again, we have to take the big blue nation glasses off, um, but what about the SEC? I mean, it's going to be a tough tournament, obviously, coming up. Um, are there any teams from the SEC that you can really see making a deep run? Oh, yeah. Florida? When Florida is shooting the three, and well, they live by the three, die by the three. Uh, they went far last year, you know, that great win against Wisconsin, Chris Chioza. but they're a fantastic team, especially when they're hitting beyond the arc. I mean, I think if they're not hitting, they could lose in the first round. If they are, they're absolutely a Final Four caliber team. Um, Auburn, you know, they looked good, but then they had some weird blitz and some slow games, especially against South Carolina twice. I know they ended up winning the second one. Uh, Tennessee, I love Rick Barnes, but honestly, truthfully, I really only see Florida as a major contender. I don't feel it from this Kentucky squad. This has been a weird Kentucky year for me. I've never really watched. It's been for both of us. On their identity. It's been for both of us. My heart breaks every game. Anna, we're mm-hmm. f- yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fifty-eight days away from uh from the run for the roses. The yeah, old baby. Derby, I know, right? <laughs> you got uh, she got your hat picked out already? Yeah, of course. Hello, you got to have your hat picked out. I don't, I don't wear the hat, so I need to. But I do, no, need, I, I do need to get the uniform though, because I, you know, the uniform the guys wear, like 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 a navy blue suit or like you know something from, uh, uh, what's the whale, um, uh, Vineyard Vines. Oh, Vineyard Vines. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, early favorites to win the Derby. The, uh, is there any? Is there any rumble around town? What's going on? He's trying to get a bet what, in with the early. Derby? I'm sorry. Could you, could you say that again? Yeah. Any uh, early. Uh, Early uh, predictions on who's going to win the Derby? 
Oh God, I don't even know who's in the Derby. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, come on, she, she, like, she, they race horses at the Derby. I thought it was just right. I was say, come on, you're you're asking her a, a very deep very, horse racing question. You know, of, you know, she of, goes, she goes, she goes to wear the hat and drink the mint juleps and have the good time. It was it was kind of a tongue in cheek. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of a tongue in cheek question. Haven't seen a horse once there. So we did, <laughs> but plenty of pink elephants though, right? We did we did the radio row at um at Churchill Downs last year. And we were staying at the Embassy Suites downtown, which is right across from Fourth Street Live. Now, but we found oh, this. Baby. But no, no, hang on. But we found this place called the Third Street Dive, which was right up my alley. Now, have you been to the th- to the Third Street Dive in Louisville? I have never heard of. it. Oh my goodness gracious! I mean, it is okay. it is a dive. Clearly, you went somewhere that was. I mean, it was a dive, but it wasn't very very cool. It was so cool. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been I've it was been like preaching. A commercial one. I have yeah. been. Because I'm not a big commercial Fourth Street Live ballpark village kind of guy. I'm old. I like mm-hmm. more low key where you go sing karaoke and do fun stuff like that. And that was oh, that's yeah. what was happening at the Third Street Dive and cheap drinks right downtown. Oh man! Well, that's what I'm like. Shoot, what am I doing tonight? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Anna Maria, what's your karaoke song? What's your go-to song for karaoke? Uh, what's my go-to song for karaoke? Yeah. What's Love Got to Do With It? There oh, we go. Oh, that's nice. very nice. nice. I can Strong see that. play. I can see that. Very bold. Very and bold choice. if I'm choice. doing a duet, then I'm doing Too Close by Knack. You know, because you got the... Oh, oh you got a harmony. A little, little softy. A little 90s R&B sure in there. The crowd is over 18. Well, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> a... Okay, I was in college when that song came out. Right. And there are a lot of teenagers running around this day because of that song. 100%. Absolutely. There I think there were a lot of children sure, conceived sure. when that song came out. That's a naughty song. <laughs> that Pony is a naughty song. Oh, yeah. Pony, don't, even, don't even talk oh, about Pony. Genuine. Don't even talk That's about Genuine. That oh, is it, absolutely, it absolutely is. When those songs came out, I didn't even really fully understand what all of that I was at a age where I was just like I clearly don't comprehend all of this but I love the song so I'm 40 sure you thought it was really bad a pony I, didn't I you? really was just like get up on that horse man so I'm <laughs> you thought it was about the Kentucky Derby I'm 40 years old I hosted karaoke for I don't know 10 12 years a long time and I didn't understand it till about five years ago when somebody karaoke it for the first time and I saw the lyrics going across my screen and I'm like holy shit what pony <laughs> Yeah. Oh, need yeah. to go to church now. Need to go to church. <laughs> right. Repent. I need to go cleanse myself. You need to go cleanse yourself for sure. Take a shower, a cold one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anna Maria, it has been a pleasure to get to know you uh, over the past uh, 20, 25 minutes. And uh, we, ho- we hope to have you on again real soon. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Anna. Oh, thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Anna Maria Tarullo. You can follow her on Twitter at Tarullo Tweets. Uh, very sweet girl. I liked her. She's one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. That was just her hanging up. That was just her hanging she up. She pinkled us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take a quick uh, a quick little time out, and then when we come back, Clay and I are going to have our first official fight on the Last Man Up Let podcast. Let me tell you something, brother. It's going that's, down. That's a pretty good uh, impression there. That it's going too, down. That went too bad. On that one. Not too bad. On the Last Man Up podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. You're listening to the Last Man Up podcast at Last Man Up pod on Twitter. Matt Berger at Matt underscore Berger. Clay Byersdorfer at Ton of Clayton. We are part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. Clay, this past Sunday, 
were the Academy Awards. I did not watch one second of it because I really don't care. However, I am a, a, a fairly big movie fan, even though I hate going to the movie theater. And I watched a ton of films this past weekend because there really weren't that great of sports on. And I watched Dunkirk, The Darkest Hour. I watched Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And I watched uh, The Big Sick. And I also watched Get Out. I actually watched Get Out twice because the first time I watched it, it was late at night and I was nodding off. And I'm like, you know what? I need to watch it again. It's not that long of a film. And I watched it and I tweeted this out and you were... I'm living. You were mortified. Mortified. You were mortified. And I said that Get Out, I enjoyed Get Out. I thought it was a really good movie. It's well made. Just overrated. I didn't understand the hype because the, the Rotten Tomato meter reading on this thing is like, what, 98%, 97%? I, I just looked it up while we were on break and it is officially at 99%. Okay, as of so, today. so so 99%. I'll tell you why that, that means, is. That means like there's two critics out there who just did not like it. It's because of that wonderful Bradley Whitford. He, everybody was good in it. It's well acted. It's very well acted. The problem is, is that I just wasn't blown away by it. I don't know if there was too much hype or because I knew what was going to happen as far as the plot goes. I'm watching this film the entire time. I'm waiting to be wowed, and I was never wowed. I think it. I think a little bit of the you get the hype sensation, if that's the phrase that you know we want to go with. If if the movie is over. I mean, you know my opinion on Get Out. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Um, Jordan Peele, you know, who, who wrote the script. Yes, and, and directed you know, it too. I mean, did a phenomenal job for his first, you know, full-length motion picture. And I didn't to, realize that he had directed it yeah. until I was watching the Oscars the other night. I'm like, that's awesome. A guy, oh, yeah. a guy who is known for, you know, stand-up comedy. and improv comedy writes is very serious. You done but, messed up, A.A. Ron. Now, I know that's key, but... There, there were some dark comedy moments there in is. too in Get Out. There were a couple times I laughed. It 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 shows the... Oh, yeah, the... the, um, the uh, what do you call it? The uh, TSA agent. Yeah. TSA don't mess around. The, the, the TSA agent was funny. He was the comedic relief. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But the the film itself, and I think to your point, if you go into it without knowing really other, when I first saw Get Out, I went into it not knowing much. I knew that it would it had came out. I knew that it was starting to gain you know a lot of hype. This was before you know it broke box office records because if you guys didn't know that movie was made on like a dime. Oh basically. yeah. Well, I mean, like who are the big stars in that movie? Bradley Whitford isn't that big of a star. Uh, oh, contraire. Allison, oh, don't talk that way about Josh Lyman. He's one of those guys. He, Al, Allison Williams, is. I mean, she's not making that much money. She's not that big of a star. And then uh, Catherine Keener. I mean, like, they're people that you know, but there's not someone in there who's going to d- d- uh, demand a high salary. Daniel Kaluuya was, or Kaluuya, I'm going to butcher that name, um, was the main actor. Okay. Uh, uh, it did phenomenal job. Oh yeah, it's, Jordan, like I said, it's well acted. Jordan Peele got the most out of those. You can label them kind of B list actors. He got the most out out of what you know the actors oh. he had in the film. And then also Stephen Root is one of the one of yes. the guys who uh, who's bidding on. Oh yeah, he he was the blind guy. He was the blind guy. Yeah, he was yeah. the blind art dealer. The Milton. Who, who, he was Jim who, who quote unquote won him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's Milton from Office Space. Milton yes. from Office Space, and he was <laughs> he was also the the station manager in the NBC sitcom and news radio. Yep. He was also, and then he was also in. Uh, Dodgeball, but he's a great character in Dodgeball. He was, a, he, he's, he was the he, nerd savant. He's one or of the those, rule savant. He's one of those character actors that you've seen in, in twenty different things. And this is kind of like a newer role, kind of role for him. He's always kind of been that kind of comic relief, but this one was really kind of 
especially the character you play, you know, like a blind man. But th- this was kind of a new foray for him. And I think that's what made Get Out so success- successful is you took a lot of uh, characters that necessarily wouldn't play those roles, you know, majorly. Yeah. And Jordan Peele wrote a script and, and you know, casted these people to play these phenomenal roles. So yeah. Keegan-Michael Key is also in the movie. As the as the NCAA prospect, uncredited, yes. and then Jordan Peele is the dying deer. Yep. Slash UNCF PSA narrator. Okay. That's also Jordan Peele. Um, <laughs> I made an error in watching those movies. I should have watched the Darkest Hour first and then Dunkirk because they are both kind of related as far as far as you know British uh, the United Kingdom's involvement mm-hmm. in the World War Two. Dunkirk, directed by Christopher Nolan. I love Christopher Nolan. I've loved almost every single one of his movies. Mm. Dunkirk, I was disappointed in because wow, it's it, Dunkirk's a good movie. Hot takes. Okay, I mean it's, it's <laughs> blistering. Dunkirk is a good movie. The problem is, is that it's it's it was kind of hard to really get into because there weren't any real characters on there that you felt attached to. I mean, you have some that you were kind of like marginally attached to, like like Tom Hardy's character mm-hmm. and a couple of the other soldiers. But for the most part, it was just kind of like, you know, this is what happened and this is how it went down and that was it. Like you you didn't have any kind of emotional investment in any of the characters in that movie. Directed in a very dark and ominous Very fashion. much so. Very much so. So with every Oscar season, I kind of, I've, 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 I've had this attitude for, for a while where I don't go in looking at the best picture movies as the best movies to see. Okay. Usually the original screenplay and, and adapted screenplay nominees are the best movies to actually see for the entertainment And, value. and Jordan Peele won for best original. And, 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 and that's right. They Pro won for, for original for best original screenplay. I think that's, to me, whenever I watch Get Out, you know, back to our original discussion, it was something when it originally came out that had just never been done before. I mean, it was a movie that kind of transcended, obviously you know, uh, racial boundaries and, and talked about and really brought up some some social issues. And I think that's why, you know, it has such a, a high meters because people really identified it, identified with it in that way. Um, but it was just, it's, it's such a movie that it just hadn't been done before. And I think the impact um, that it brought, you know, not only across the theater, but socially just, um, it transcended probably what Jordan Peele originally thought. The best movie I saw this past weekend was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I, yeah, I'm going to watch I, it this weekend. I, I'll, I'll give you that one. It's good. That movie is fantastic. Now, to me, that movie had the wow. It had the wow factor. It really did. It really did. It, it was not what I was expecting it to be at all. Is it a thriller? No, no. It is not. It is not a thriller. Yeah. It, it it is a it is a uh, it's a it's a drama, but there are some sprinkles of of uh, really dark comedy in there. Okay. But I thought it was going to be kind of like, you know, Francis McDormand is fighting this, you know, racist police department in southern Missouri. And that's not really what it's about. That's mm-hmm. kind of sort of like a little bit of a plot point. But that seems like that's kind of how it was marketed. Mm-hmm. Because I was talking to somebody about this today. And he used to be a detective for the city of St. Louis. He no longer is. And when I told him, because, I mean, the three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri kind of had a, when it first came out had the stain of it being an anti-police, anti-law enforcement movie. And yep. it's not that at it's all. Not, it's not, not that at all. Shout out to Francis McDormand, who, I mean, honestly deserved the hell out of that And so Oscar did Sam show. Rockwell. I, Sam I, Rockwell was so good. I thought those were two of the, the most justified award winners. Like, they announced it was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. She was ate up on stage. 
Well, and then what? So, <laughs> yeah. Someone stole her Oscar? Yeah, someone stole her just, Oscar. I was just reading Okay, but that's the reason why I do not watch these award shows because, I, I mean, like, look, your politics are your politics. I'm, nine out of ten times, I'm probably going to agree with you. I just don't want to, you know, hear about it, dude. I don't want to deal with it for three and a half, four straight hours. Exactly. Of people going up there and saying the same thing over and over and over again. When the next day I can just go on to Google and type in 2018 Oscar winners and I can get the whole list right then and there. If I wanted political opinions, I'd just get on Twitter. And, and that's you why get plenty of them there. You get plenty of political opinions on Twitter. One thing I will say about three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, what Woody Harrelson did in that movie if I was in that situation, I would have done the exact same thing for the reasons why he did what he did. I think so. Um, I I can't not agree with you. I think there is some debate to that. To that. Oh, but. totally. But I saw someone who died of cancer and went the way out that Woody Harrelson did not want to, and that was the worst experience of my entire life. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough experience for anybody to go through, and I think portrayed you know, in that manner and on a big screen, it really, you know, it makes a lasting impact, obviously. When he did what he, when he did what he did, I was stunned. Yeah. It, it was one of those movies that, um, I know it get out did not do it for you, but it definitely had points where you're like, wow, are they really going to go there? Are we can, you know, we're okay, really going to talk like, about this. I, I, I'm not asking this rhetorically. What were, what were some of those moments? Uh, you're going to really put me on the spot here. Um, because that's the reason why I didn't enjoy that movie much because I was I kept waiting for one of those to happen and to me it never are, happened. Are you talking about Get Out or are you talking about Three Billboards? I'm talking about Get Out. Get Out. I honestly when and I told you when I watched it like I went in with zero hype. I know, knew nothing about the movie. Sure. So really like every you, in, you went in completely cold. Ruining completely cold. Um, moments like obviously I mean very early in the movie when they hit the deer like yeah that was kind of a little you know foreshadow whatever but when they brought the deer back like at the end of the movie uh, when he gets hypnotized obviously in their living room was just like man this is getting nuts like I did not see this going this way like you see the character arc that these people take from the, the start of the movie to the end of the movie and it just gets wild as you know from start to finish at least for me I thought something that they could have I don't know if it was part of the film or it's just something that I kind of assumed and maybe they could have fleshed it out, was when Bradley Whitford was giving uh, the, um, the boyfriend the tour of the house. Mm-hmm. And he was he showed a picture of his father on the wall, and his father was beat was beaten in a race by Jesse Owens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they could have fleshed out about how the reason why they're doing what they're doing is because the grandfather never got over the fact that he lost to Jesse Owens and that's the reason why they're doing what they're doing. The reason why they were all psychopaths and, yes. and like, hiding people to in me, their basement, to me, cutting them open. <laughs> to me, it seemed like that could have been fleshed out a little bit, but that, that's just my opinion. I think there are a lot of things that even still, it really leaves it up to imagination. Like you watch the movie and you're like, oh, I see the connection there. Or I see like, you know, why they were doing that, you know, whether it was with the picture or some of the other, you know, kind of racial undertones that were within the film. And I think that's really what did it for me is they connected so many things and just like really small detail ways that even like watching it again, I would probably pick up on that. I didn't the first time around the best symbolism in that movie. was that the thing that saved him was cotton. Yeah. No kidding. Right. And, but I still have no idea how he got that cotton in his ears. Well, he did it from the chair. He got it from the chair. So he just bent over and no, no, no. You didn't see the, the part where he picks it out of the chair. Well, yeah. Okay. But his, his hands were tied to the chair. Oh, how he physically like got That's, it. into Yes. It. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they... Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. 
I don't know if we call out the movie specifically for that, but yeah. I mean, okay, that's a pretty big <laughs> plot. That's a pretty big plot hole. You just, I mean, it's more about, yes, that he picked the cotton, like what the cotton kind of symbolized and the fact that he got in his ear. Like, yeah, they're not going to show him like bending down. I mean, I guess from a power standpoint, like, man, kind of heightening standpoint, like, yeah. You and I got that out of the movie. I didn't see it's a plot hole. I, I, figured, I figured out how that happened. How, how did he do it? How he pulled it out of the chair, like you said. Okay, no, but okay, but, but, asked, but, but his hands were tied to the chair. So if his hands are tied to the no, chair. No, he was cutting up. There, he, he cut them out somehow. I, I forgot how. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Yeah, again. I have to watch that part. After, this, after this debate. But I, I, but I remember it making sense to me. It didn't make any sense to me at all. You just, well, that's just you, Burger. That's just me. I think you're just a skeptical guy. That, that could very well be. Maybe I'm too hard. Who is movie. this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy it, though. I, I did not hate it. I really liked it. I thought it was a good movie. You just didn't think it was Oscar worthy. I just didn't think that it. I mean. Our friend, uh, who hopefully we will have on our podcast, uh, Andrew Claudio in New York, he thinks this is an all-time great. And, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty big film critic. I'm not, like, film critic as in big in name, but he watches a he, lot of movies. and He, he thinks, just watches a lot of movies. He, he thinks Get Out is an all-time great. Now, and I felt he, the same way, that is, that it was not an Oscar-worthy movie. I thought it was just a good movie. In, our, in defense of that, and, Berger, we were talking about this before the show, overall... 2000, you know, 2017 to 2018. It's been a like low year for like impactful movies. They're like, yeah, this is definitely Oscar buzz. Now, Get Out, I think, from my personal opinion, deserved of an Oscar, but not a not a ton of movies. I mean, outside of three, you know, three billboards, Get Out, uh, Shape of Water. Um, the Darkest Hour was good. Darkest Hour was good. It was it, it was it wasn't great, but it was good. Dark- Gary Oldman should have won, and I'm glad he did. Compared to last year's. The the kind of punch that you know 2017 to 2018 threw with movies has been was weaker than previous years. This brings the second episode of the Last Man Up podcast to a close. Thank you so much for listening to us. You can follow us on Twitter at Last Man Up Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Burger B E R G E R. You can follow Clay Byersdorfer on Twitter at Ton of Clayton. You've been listening to the St. Louis Podcast Network. Special thanks to Anna Maria Tarullo. You can follow her at Tarullo Tweets. stlpodcast.com.